Hello, and welcome to the Smart Karma Podcast. I'm Michael Tegos. Every week on the podcast, we share a presentation and discussion from our webinar Wednesdays, when we sit down with Smart Karma Insight providers and selected experts from around the world to break down the key topics you care about in Asia's markets. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and so on. Thank you for being with us, and enjoy the episode. Good day to everyone, and welcome to this week's Smart Karma webinar. This is your host, Kate, from Smart Karma's research team. Today, we have Howard Klein with us, who will go over his outlook on the casino and gaming sector in Asia for 2020 and present opportunities for investors in this space. Over to you, Howard. Thank you, thank you very much, Kit, and welcome everybody. I'm delighted uh, to be here uh, to discuss what I think is an exciting uh, crossroads in the casino sector in Asia for a whole number of reasons. Uh, I'd like to begin with what I have named in, in several of my uh, Smart Karma uh, writings analysis is the emperor of all pandemics, which is, of course, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. It is the most overwhelming possible headwind for companies in the general consumer discretionary field, but specifically for businesses that depend on masses of public attendance, such as entertainment, casinos, hotels, travel, and tourism. But we don't have anything in our history, and I have roughly 35 to 40 years archived data of material throughout the global gaming industry, both from the United States, the EU, and Asia, which shows periodic headwinds coming from places that we have become familiar with such as potential financial crises, as we've experienced in 2007, 2008, uh, such as recessions, which some of which vary in intensity uh, by various parts uh, of the globe. These are headwinds that we have come to bake in one way or another in our selection of where we're putting our investment dollars. Sometimes we are uh, keen enough to anticipate them, and sometimes we are not. Uh, for example, right now, there are any number of economists forecasting runaway inflation, uh, who are forecasting anywhere from a 10 to 20% overall correction in markets due to that uh, inflationary overheating. But none of these things, particularly in the casino space in Asia, compare in intensity and in and total impact uh, to the pandemic. It's a common sense uh, situation, and I'm sure everybody here appreciates that. Now, having said that, the second most important factor effect that I see affecting the sector going forward is what is happening in Beijing and what is happening with China tourism. It's to be noted here, I think, that uh, in the 2019 uh, base year, we had outbound China tourism that hit, hit 162 million people leaving China for vacation as tourists, and they spent a total of 254 billion US in their travels. And the casino nations 
were considerable recipients of China tourists, both regular tourists in the mass end of the game, that is people who were just merely recreational gamblers, and this was just part of what they did and part of their enjoyment, and is, of course, the VIP sector, which has a history of its own uh, in Asia, uh, beginning in the early days of Macau, where it represented 75% of all of the gross gaming revenue uh, in Macau, for example, and today it's down to about 50% during the base year of 2019. And uh, we believe uh, at this point, and it's important for us to understand, that don't just look at a VIP uh, customer in a market like Macau or the Philippines or Vietnam or South Korea as a all-purpose VIP, that is to say, a gambler with a significant bankroll willing to take significant chances with each deal of the cards, that is somebody playing at a high limit all the time. There are distinct differences between players from different parts of Asia. Korean players are somewhat different in their outlooks and culture than players from China. They are a bit different than players who originate from Taiwan. They instead are also different from those who uh, come from Japan. So there's a mix of people in VIP. And all of the factors that go into the cycles that we have mentioned that cause spikes and declines in this sector uh, on, on news flow are really generally modest, and I use that word very advisedly, ladies and gentlemen, modest compared to the explosive impact that the pandemic has had on this industry, where both general tourism, VIP visitation, every aspect of the business has taken a tremendous beating uh, by the pandemic. And I think, and, as, and I've mentioned to Kit before, I have called it the emperor of all headwinds. There's never been anything like it, and God help us, I hope we will never see anything like it again when it is over. But it is very important at this point for investors to understand that as big and all-encasing as the pandemic is, that the basic impulse to enjoy recreational gambling among Asian players, both mass as well as VIPs, is very resilient. My data banks have indicated that over a period of 35 years, the resiliency has been nothing short of phenomenal. Let me put a closer perspective on that. Uh, people who invest in the uh, sector may recall that in 2015, Beijing triggered a series of crackdowns in Macau. Uh, much of this was due to concerns about money laundering, capital flight, and corruption among certain areas of Chinese officialdom who they found were visiting Macau in large numbers and gambling large amounts of money. So what we had then was a tremendous uh, a crackdown on the junkets, which is the group travel of uh, VIPs to Macau. We had 
uh, face ID. We had various smoking, anti-smoking regulations, and we had all kinds of regulations having to do with the amount of money uh, a, a machine can cash in uh, any given day. All these things put together at the same time produced a 2015 with a considerable drop in GGR and overall revenue and the earnings profiles of many of the key companies in the sector were badly damaged. In my own view, uh, that 215, if you look at some of the trading statistics, indicated that there were some tremendous buys uh, available at that time for people who had the conviction and the sense that there would be a, re a, a recovery and you were able to buy in and look at tremendous returns by 2018, when as uh, was predicted, the market did begin its resilient move. And at the same time, the uh, large uh, operators in markets all over Asia, and this goes for Macau, it goes for the Philippines, it goes for South Korea, it goes for Vietnam, all over, we were seeing more direct investment by casino operators in expansion. And that leads us to the other factor that is, in my opinion, uh, one of the main tailwind or headwind effects in the macro sense that affects uh, the Asian gaming stocks at this point, and that is China tourism. And as I indicated uh, in the uh, pre-pandemic year uh, with uh, 162 million Chinese people visiting uh, all over the world, these were producing the bulk of the mass GGR that was recorded. And B, uh, what we found was that in 2015, when everybody was hit by the aforesaid uh, headwinds uh, initiated by crackdowns in Beijing, we saw another phenomenon, which I, I suppose proves my point to an extent, and that is cross-border gaming. We saw uh, many players who were regular Macau uh, arrivals uh, suddenly changing their itineraries and showing up in places particularly like the Philippines and South Korea and other areas where they felt they were not being looked upon by the authorities and they were literally scared. Now, what has happened since? Well, quite obviously, once the crackdown effects were really judged as being uh, uh, important, but not overwhelming, they slowly began to filter back to Macau. And as a result, we had growth in the entire Asian gaming, gaming sector, and all of the top stocks in the sector were able to produce very significant earnings gains that trans, uh, transmitted themselves to PEs that became very, very attractive. Some of them uh, reached the point where uh, they were able to take down long-term financing for massive expansion. 
And uh, the, I'm not talking about expansion in uh, uh, just opening several restaurants or a new theater. I'm talking expansion in US billions of dollars in rooms and in towers and in more casino capacity to understand from their perspective that there was this long-term resiliency in the consumer uh, gaming market in Asia, and it was worthwhile to continue investing. As we sit here today, there's roughly between five and seven billion US uh, hanging in investment, and by the way, still going forward, uh, despite the pandemic, despite the turmoil in the Chinese financial area that uh, shows operators who are particularly uh, engaged in the conviction that the long-term outlook for gaming in Asia is extremely bullish, which leads me to the third thing that I think is important for investors is liquidity. There has been, since the pandemic, concern among many large investors who call me and speak to me all the time, and I'm talking about funds and as well as high net worth individuals, uh, who were concerned at the beginning, would these major companies have the liquidity generated sufficient to take them through till the end of the pandemic at a time when even, even the best of medical science could not definitively place a time frame on when they think the pandemic would begin to ease and we would return to some form of, quote, normalcy, unquote. This fact remained that when I took a good look at the cash and cash equivalent position of the major companies operating in the area, I found that they were all sitting, and this, this was in the early days of the pandemic, which I would say would be the spring of 2020, they're all sitting on more than sufficient cash to take them through comfortably, I think 20, late 2021 uh, was the conclusion that I drew. Now, what has happened in the interim, uh, for those who follow the bond market, is that a lot of these uh, companies have liquidated uh, notes that were imminently due and replaced them with new notes. And as a matter of fact, it's quite telling that the buyback of buying of notes uh, and the issuance of new notes to replace those that were repaid were at better rates, which reflects the value of uh, low interest of, for certain in general, but it also reflects a level of conviction among the banks that these businesses have indeed that resilience. And at some point when it becomes reasonable to assume that we are indeed at late stage pandemic moving uh, uh, into an, an area uh, where it no longer is the governing headwind that of the industry, uh, that these uh, companies will have no problem with liquidity. They, for the most part, uh, are showing very good ratios in terms of their ability to repay. So you have liquidity, you have a resilient audience of customers that is huge, uh, that will return, and you have the 
Other thing that I'd like to leave uh, the participants with, the issue of pent up demand. Now I, having been a gaming executive myself at the C-suite level for nearly 40 years, pretty much uh, understand what, what this resiliency factor means in terms of continuing to grow and to grow and to grow. And uh, there are lapses, of course, from time to time. Uh, competition increases. There are changes in governments that uh, change regulations. There are t- threats to taxes. And of course, in Macau, we have the, the biggest perceived headwind of uh, reconcession. Uh, as, as a matter of fact, just today or, or, or yesterday, uh, Macau announced a, another postponement of public um, consultations about tightening regulations and giving officialdom bigger say in the operation of casinos. And here again, we have a clear case of where the news flow is an echo chamber many times of reality so that market participants will see that and take that as a bearish tone. Look what's going to happen. Uh, The government is gonna take an ever uh, tighter look at the industry. They're going to impose new uh, uh, regulations. They're gonna be sitting on the boards of these casino companies. Well, I must say, I'm not a Pollyanna, and and I do think that these motions are serious. I think anytime you have uh, a significant government uh, interference uh, in the in a business it is just bad. But the fact remains that I have been through these kind of things before, and I always find that they tend to be exaggerated with the early news looking like it's it's a terror to the uh, area, and we see a, spot, uh, a decline in the shares, and then over a period of time the shares recover. And that may have little to do with earnings releases, whether they, they and, and right now, for example, uh, many of the companies uh, uh, have been showing, at least until the Delta variant uh, started to become more widespread uh, last summer, very healthy, steady gains in gaming revenue, in footfall, in casino revenue, and again, continuing, not abandoning, but continuing their CapEx investment in expansion. So at this point, I'd like to say that overall, uh, my current view is I am looking at Q2 2022 as being the turning point in the gaming sector. In terms of when I think, given all the headwinds that I've outlined here today and all of the things we don't know about and nobody can positively say, such as any medically involved uh, estimates as to when we will start seeing significant drops in infection rates that will give investors uh, the level of conviction confidence to get back into the sector, at least those that are are uh, that are either sold down positions or are just holding. And even though prices may seem more attractive, they're not accumulating. So with that in mind, what I'd like to do is I've, I've picked 
out the key stocks in the sector. Uh, and just from a look at where they stand at the moment and where I think that they would be headed for. And what I see in general, and I don't like to give the impression of being overly optimistic in a situation that is really serious in terms of the pandemic. But by the same token, I think it is very, very important that investors believe that in this sector, you are dealing with companies that have a stake in one of the most basic human proclivities that does not go away, which is namely an enjoyment of recreational gaming. It is a kind of leisure entertainment that is non-duplicable. Of course, we do have the rise of online gaming, and particularly here in the United States, uh, sports wagering online has given birth to an enormous explosion of sports gaming stocks uh, that, of course, is, are, are illegal uh, in, in China, for example. But given that fact as one area of growth, my sense is, as a person who is a strong believer in growth, but I'm also a contrarian, I am not frightened any longer by the effects of the pandemic being permanent. My view is, and of course, I, again, this is, I've had conversations with physicians and um, medical people in this particular infectious disease area, and I'm not being Pollyannish about this, but given the most realistic expectations, the general consensus that I've gotten and for Asia, for example, is that the vaccination levels have been moving at a steady pace and that the Delta variant, which has been largely responsible for holding down these kind of public industries for a long time, at least since last spring, is, is something that is will be, and again, I can't, I'm, I'm certainly not here to forecast of the pandemic uh, activity or, or contagion levels. But there's a strong feeling that by the end of this year, we will see a significant drop in new contagion by Delta. And again, there's no telling whether other variants will pop up. Their general feeling is that the variants who, which may uh, come about will, may not be anywhere near as infectious. Again, that's guesswork. But taking all this into consideration, taking into consideration what I believe are the actions taken by the main companies in the business in terms of cutting costs and keeping the cost cuts made during the worst part of the pandemic in place post-pandemic, which will redound generally to significant increases in operating margins. So again, without trying to be uh, an unrealistic optimist, and I, I must really stress that all the time because I think there are still a lot of wariness and cynicism among people who would be investing in the space now, but who are not because they, they are basically following headlines, which let's be quite honest, they can be scary. So with that in mind, I'd just like to go quickly through 
the main participants in the space and where I think they now are. Now, <coughs> we have uh, MGM, which the parent uh, traded uh, in, in America, is, uh, is trading at $44. And its 52-week range has run between 1958 to $46 uh, at the high. MGM is a very diverse company now. They're getting very active in the online gaming space. Their regional properties are starting to do well. Uh, I would say at, they seem to me at this particular thing, situation, to have some run room. And I, but I think we are looking at probably the second quarter of 2020 before we'll see of the kind of uh, an earnings spike that I think will delight the hearts of investors. MGM China is a trades between four and 560 over the last year. Um, and it's close to its high. And I think that's one to keep an eye on because uh, most recently, just before the Delta slowdown, uh, in Macau, their share of market of the Macau gaming uh, revenue went for the first time into double digits from 9.2% to 11.3%. So their second property in the Kotai was doing well, will do well, and is currently in the same kind of uh, uh, delta hiatus that the rest of the market is. Wind Resorts, the parent, uh, is uh, has a fifth is uh, currently selling at $86. Its 52 week range went from 67 to 143. Now, historically, Wynn has always overperformed its size, as, as, they, as they used to say in the, in the boxing field, they punch above their weight. It's an outstanding company with outstanding properties. In Macau, it still has a, a significant presence in Las Vegas and in the Boston market. Its 52-week range has seen the stock uh, go with Macau. It's now at a, a 6.30, going from 5.8 to $16. I think there is interesting room here for investors to take a look at it. They've just financed, I believe, well over a billion in long-term debt. Uh, they did not have any trouble doing that. I think that that, if you own it, is a hold. Uh, and it's an interesting situation, but I think if it, uh, if when Macau gets above $7, I think it uh, it's going to move even better. So I think that's one to keep an eye on. Now we come to really one of my favorites, which is Las Vegas Sands. Uh, Las Vegas Sands U.S. parent uh, is uh, selling at $37 a share, which I think is a, an incredibly cheap uh, entry point for a stock of this quality. As some uh, investors may know, there's been some major movement uh, in this company, the most dramatic of which, of course, was the death of its visionary founder, Mr. Sheldon Adelson, who is one of the great pioneers of Asian gaming, uh, whose family and foundation still controls over 50% of the stock. But 
they recently sold all their Las Vegas interests in a huge sale to Blackstone and other REITs for uh, uh, around six billion when you're getting all done. And they have indicated publicly in their statements, and I happen to know a lot of people in their top management, that they are considering themselves now an Asian company and their cash position is excellent. They have indicated that part of the proceeds of their sale of Las Vegas, they anticipate moving into a third Asian market and are currently looking for an opportunity. And the reason, and they are also, by the way, uh, looking to enter the online sports betting business in the US. However, what is important to the participants here is that the uh, need in their mind to move with a major movement in the third Asian market uh, is very, very telling because that tells us that they have this conviction long-term. They have the cash, they have the know-how, they have the connective tissue that would make a move in that area. And I expect that we will see a roughly within the next six to eight months, an announcement or the beginning of an announcement of a move into a third uh, Asian country for Las Vegas at the Sands. And that's one of the reasons I think it represents an outstanding buy. Uh, it's 52 week range uh, ran from 35 to $66, which I think even at $66 represents excellent, excellent value as a, as a true value stock. It, to bear in mind, I, I must say, is that uh, in the baseline year 19, Las Vegas Sands generated, including Las Vegas, which represented only uh, a small percentage of their overall, $12 billion in gaming, in, uh, in, in complete revenue. And that is reflected, I think, in an, an even more interesting situation, which is the tracking stock Sands China Limited, which is at 15,480 and a 52 week range of 14,6 to 45. So it is now trading near its 52 week low. I really believe, given the fact that they, their liquidity is, is excellent, their prospects are excellent, they at this point have 22.3% share of market in Macau. They own half of what is the duopoly of two casinos in Singapore, where they have pledged 3.5 billion for expansion in Singapore. So I think you're looking at a company that is financially sound, that is cash uh, uh, rich, in my, in my opinion, with the capacity of borrowing more and whose price is extremely attractive for an investor with patience, for an investor who understands that it is a long-term situation. And I would expect to see Las Vegas Sands the parent and Sands China Limited uh, trading significantly higher by Q2. The other one I have here is SJM Holdings, which is an Asia-based uh, company, 
uh, at now at uh, $5 one, uh, Hong Kong, uh, with a 52-week range from 5 to 11.90. They are at the, the gateway of opening their Kotai, big Kotai project. My only concern with the SJM at this point is I would like to see the activity of uh, SJM's new property going at least two to three quarters before I would look, feel much more bullish about its outlook. So to me, I think the once we reach post-pandemic, to whatever degree that means, I think SJM will move, but I think we have to be a bit cautious and say that for the point right now as a whole. We then have the, the large Galaxy Entertainment Group at 388 Hong Kong, which another one, it's, it's the, it's the uh, double digit uh, market leader uh, with Las Vegas Sands about 22% share of market. It has enormous uh, cash resources. It has a distinct plan of moving forward uh, in, in its future. It is uh, a, a kind of stock that I think should be part of a portfolio. And I, and I think the price at this point is rather attractive. Uh, then we have a stock that I might say, uh, I had very, very high hopes for, uh, which has taken much more of the hit than I had originally anticipated. And that's Melco Resorts and Entertainment, led by the very savvy Lawrence Ho, who has done excellent work in terms of allocating his assets between Macau, uh, the Philippines, and other parts of the world, such as the Mediterranean. That is the secret sauce, I think, as they say, of Melco. Uh, they are building, it is not a gigantic, but it is a significant integrated resorts uh, in the island of Cyprus. It will be the first mega resort of that type in the Middle East and nearby Europe ever built. There is nothing in the EU casinos that will come close to this property, even though it'll be, by Macau standards, relatively modest, but it will be um, a rapidly expandable if it turns out to be successful. What I like about it is, is it shows Lawrence Ho's vision that it is not limited only to Asia, but he looks for opportunities outside of Asia. Uh, he was for a while most interested in the Russian Far East, which I'll talk about in connection with another stock. Uh, and he backed out because he was dissatisfied with the attitude and about the taxation that was coming out of Moscow. So that was it. But Melko now sitting uh, NASDAQ traded at $9.97 against the 52-week uh, uh, range of uh, $9.68 to $23. To me, seems like an outstanding buy at $9.97, a very good entry point. However, 
I must caution right now is that there uh, have been uh, some skepticism about the go forward earnings possibilities of this particular uh, company based on its uh, uh, continuing interest in Japan. And the, the concern among some, uh, uh, one hedge fund called me a, a week or so ago and was wondering that um, Melco, which is a, such a well-run company in general, uh, was still sticking to its idea of bidding for one of the three uh, Japanese uh, IRs to come by the end of the decade and was concerned as to whether this uh, represented uh, the ability, their conviction that they would be able to uh, bear the hurdle rate uh, that has proved problematical for other potential people. Uh, and uh, of course, among them being MGM, which uh, is in with Oryx Corporation and they find no problem. They are looking forward to gaining Osaka. And the last one on my list is one of my favorites. Those who may have read some of my insights on Smart Karma know that I think Matt and Nagacorp uh, is really one of the all-time best buys, best run, uh, most solidly based a company for its size in the sector. Uh, its present price is at 690 Hong Kong. 52-week range is a 5 to uh, 11, 1 Hong Kong. And what I like about this stock and what I have liked about it for several years is basically the management is number one, which I feel they've made very, very smart allocation decisions. And Dr. Kyung, who is the founder of the company and the CEO, has skin in the game. He has taken from his own resources and financed the first expansion of Naga World in, Cambo in Phnom Penh, where of course they have an exclusive. And he has taken that onto himself. He has established the prog progress of Naga 3, which will bring the company to over 5,000 rooms in Cambodia. And in addition to that, where other people have taken a pass, such as Lawrence Ho, he has decided to move ahead with a project in the Russian Far East, Vladivostok. And overall, from a financial perspective, and I love the idea of a CEO and founder having skin in the game, that makes every shareholder a partner with the boss, as it were, and I like that because I've seen it work in our industry for many years. So I, I like that and I like the price of this company. I like the way the care in which they move carefully from one phase to another, they don't rush things. And they represent the final thing that I'd like to say in general as to one of the governing uh, ma macro situations for gaming in Asia, and that is Chinese tourism. It is probably six or seven months ago that high-ranking Beijing officials have indicated the willingness to blackball, and I repeat, 
blackball any Asian nation which they saw had a foreign policy at odds with Beijing, which let's face it, let's interpret it, meaning the US, that they would blackball tourism from that nation. Now that in theory can be a death knell because Chinese tourism and VIP is such a principal element of the GGR of almost every major gaming operation in Asia, that this is no threat. So the question is, is it an idle threat? Is it one of these threats that China periodically makes or is it something that has to be considered seriously? Is, is it a threat uh, 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 such as the uh, saber rattling we hear about the South China Sea issue and many other issues? Does it represent a small part of this larger um, swerve we see in, in the outlook of uh, Xi Jinping in terms of reverting back to some, and I don't like to use this expression lightly, Maoist policies uh, in terms of militancy. Uh, that is something that I, I think uh, is, is a factor. It's not a gigantic, but it is a factor. And where does Nagacorp come in? Among all Asian nations, few have as sound relationships between Beijing and Phnom Penh as does Cambodia and China. And if indeed there is this headwind which could come, uh, I'm not putting a high priority or a high sense of it, but this which could come uh, in terms of nation, we saw what happened in, for example, in 2017, when South Korea uh, had an agreement to place that US missiles uh, in South Korea and Beijing promptly suspended uh, tourism to uh, South Korea. Uh, and that hurt the casino industry considerably. Uh, whether this is just more saber rattling by China, one doesn't know. Uh, I must say, uh, Beijing, as many of our participants probably share the view, is, is, is an unpredictable uh, command uh, economy re regime uh, that is very, very hard to know, other than to look at the pronunciamentos and history of Xi Jinping since he took over. And my feeling is that there are two Xi Jinpings. There is one who wants to get militant, who wants to punish who he believes to be China's uh, competitors. And then there's the Xi Jinping who likes to see himself as a world leader, who does not want to be in a position of confiscating such things as casinos or of punishing a tourism, but there is no telling what he would do. So. My conclusion, generally speaking, is, is that my eye is uh, focused between now and Q2 on the prospects for those companies that I've outlined here. Uh, and my uh, justification for that is that A, at some point, uh, and of course nobody could tell for sure, but I do believe that the pandemic will have eased somewhat by then that two large-scale tourism 
as well as VIP will return to the casino industry. Uh, and three, pent up demand, which is really pent up uh, bankroll as well, because I hear from my friends in marketing all over Asia that there are players in the VIP sector that have literally not spent the money they ordinarily would be spending for leisure uh, gaming trips. Now, what effect the Chinese property crisis will have uh, is problematical because uh, those who understand the complex uh, nature of the VIP um, uh, contingent know that, yes, many of them are involved in property speculation, but that does not represent such an overwhelming percentage of uh, the gaming uh, budget contribution of individuals, as some may think, in the VIP sector. So all in all, I think if uh, uh, investors who have conviction of the basic elements of the industry, which is the proclivity to gamble and enjoy it at recreation, the continuing investment in CapEx to expand the industry throughout Asia, and three, the liquidity of most of the companies that I've noted here put together against the current selling prices of the shares to me indicate that there are some extremely interesting entry points. And I will be writing in greater detail about that in future insights and smart comma. Thank you very much, Corey. Thank you for that uh, detailed and enlightening presentation, Howard. Um, for participants, you can send your questions through the Q&A tab at the bottom. And um, here, there's a question for you, Howard. What is your outlook for Genting Singapore? A very good question. Uh, I think Genting will be mostly reliant on results from its massive Las Vegas property. I have spoken to people I know at Resorts World Las Vegas, and early results seem encouraging. In terms of footfall, which is massive, which of course is common to things that will be new and novel. So their footfall has been extremely good. Their restaurants are full. The gaming floors are full, all within the context, again, uh, the emperor pandemic, all within the context of the degree to which uh, revenue has been returning to Las Vegas as a market in general, in terms of the Delta variant, which has taken, uh, uh, slowed down uh, the revival and recovery considerably. Genting Malaysia, I think, again, has been buffeted by the pandemic. Uh, uh, they are in many markets besides that uh, in the US. Um, they are in uh, upstate New York. They are in metropolitan New York. They will be doing okay. My concern about Genting is, is one single thing. They're good operators. They're spread all over the place. I do have a concern that they have spread themselves a bit too thin and that they need a period of consolidation, which will be led by a hope for success 
in their brand new Las Vegas project in uh, the return to a more normal post-pandemic run of business in Malaysia. So right now, I would say my view is at best, uh, Genting is a hold. Uh, I do not see it as a, a, an entry point yet, but I think the key is if we start seeing by Q2 22 in the US as well, that the resorts world property on the Las Vegas Strip has been doing as well as it has been in the very early weeks, uh, then I would think it's time to revisit Genting because it is diverse, it is wide, and it is in key areas. Thank you for that, Howard. Um, we have another question. Thanks for the very useful walkthrough, Howard. Do you detect any attempt by the Macau government to seriously diversify the economy away from gaming slash entertainment? And how do you see the continuing development of the Hengqing area and its surroundings in enhancing Macau as a gaming magnet? Well, I, I think there is no question that a diversification of the Macau economy is going to happen. I think that will very much be part of the uh, mandates that will be put down by the reconcession to the six uh, concessionaires. It will include such things uh, as are obvious as uh, uh, entertainment, public facilities, um, uh, uh, theme park type of situations. But what has not been mentioned, which is what I think is, is that there will be a lot of civic projects and that will require new uh, uh, industries to come in. And one of those industries, interestingly enough, I think will be technology. Uh, and I think that could be at some point Certainly uh, not on mainland China, but I think in the SAR, I could very well see within the next three years, a significant increase in online uh, sports betting and gambling. But I do think as a corollary to that, we will see a technology and equipment possibility uh, coming to diversify the Macau economy. And I think part of that also long range in terms of the companies that I mentioned will be Henquan Island, which is presumably going to be non-gaming, but is part of the greater South Bay um, incentive of, of Beijing is to put a lot of theme parks, uh, a lot of public uh, uh, entertainment facilities in there, uh, non-casino hotels, and I think, by the way, uh, again, the news flow three years ago when they were talking about Hankan Island was that they were going to put casinos all over the place and it was going to kill Macau. Well, it didn't happen and it's not going to happen. As a matter of fact, I think, at least as much as we know now, is I think it will be a feeder for Macau. So I see that as a definitely a positive uh, out, outcome. Okay, thank you for that. We have another question. How do you see Sun City's expansion in Vietnam, Russia, and Philippines? Do you see it as an alternative to Macau? Yes, uh, 
I, I think particularly the Philippines and Vietnam are most important. Uh, Sun City has a tremendous backlog, a tremendous listing of VIP play, which it has built up over a number of years, which it can bring to the property that it is uh, developing in Vietnam. Vietnam also has a base population of about 95 million, which at some point uh, there will be a uh, per capita GNP growth level that is going to serve as a significant propulsion for mass gambling when the laws are made to allow for that much further than they are today. So I see that Philippines, uh, tremendous growth, uh, particularly in uh, the uh, entertainment zone in Manila. Uh, it, and the interesting part about that is, as I noted before, so much of the growth of uh, the Manila Entertainment Zone two properties has been uh, refugee gamblers from Macau uh, who fled during the 2015 crackdowns. And uh, there is proxy gambling there. There is also a resident population uh, involved there of between 300 and 600,000 uh, Chinese people who are very uh, strong uh, play potential, in fact. So that, I think, is without question uh, a, a strong uh, growth market. South Korea, I think, has tremendous, tremendous potential, but the foreigners-only situation it would appear is going to continue for a, a while, and I think that's going to be a significant damper on how far and how wide the South Korean market can grow. Although, on the other hand, you do have large visitation. As a matter of fact, I think uh, South Korea was one of the top destinations for Chinese tourists in the baseline year 2019. So when that returns to normal, I think South Korean casinos will do well but I think their potential could be much larger if all of the casinos, instead of merely one, would be permitted to uh, uh, cater to locals as well. Okay, thank you for that. I think we have just uh, one last question as we are running out of time for the webinar. So um, regarding Naga Corp, can you comment on its cash flow or liquidity situation given the huge Naga Tree project? Yeah, I, I, I'm working right now on projecting a cash flow, which I think will be more than adequate to meet its liquidity purposes. And one of the reasons uh, I feel I'm, I'm trying to do, I'm working right now on a, uh, a discounted cash flow for NAGA. But I, one of the reasons, as I noted, that I like it so much is the resources of Dr. Kim are deep, and his ability and willingness to invest those resources gives me a high level of conviction that the cash flow will be more than adequate to meet whatever needs they may have. The key being that the NAGA 3 project, even though it has encountered some stalling due to 
pandemic-related construction situations. It has resumed construction and it is in construction and the CapEx is being spent. So I think that the management being, uh, as I've watched it for the last three years, being extremely responsible, they would not be moving ahead, both with NAGA 3 and especially the Vladivostok Russian Far East project, had they not have a high level of confidence of their ability to generate cash and to borrow as needed. Thank you for that. And uh, with that, I think we have come to the end of the webinar. Um, I would like to thank everyone for participating in today's webinar, especially Howard for his presentation and addressing our questions. If you have any follow-on questions for the team, please reach to your Smart Karma account manager. Thanks again for your participation and we look forward to having you on future Smart Karma webinars. Thanks thank for you. having yep. Thank you all very much. That's it for this week. If you liked this episode, please share it with your networks and follow Smart Karma on your social media. We're Smart Karma everywhere. And of course, don't forget to visit smartkarma.com for truly independent, differentiated investment research. As always, thank you very much for listening and see you at the next one.